God says, I hate divorce. God hates divorce because God knows what can happen, not just to maybe the two parties involved, but for people all around them as well. He knows what can happen. He knows the problems that surface because of divorce and discord and disunity and disharmony. It happens everywhere, doesn't it? Families, churches, countries, workplaces. It happens everywhere. The Bible speaks about you and I as believers in Jesus Christ. We're, we're to live in harmony. We're to live in unity with one another. And, and if we're to, we're to keep the unity, well, there's something critical. We must first have unity. You can't have something and, or keep something unless you first have it. And believers, uh, we're told in the passage that we're going to turn to today, you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4 is where we're going. Paul here, in writing this letter, he, he encourages the believers to model what that unity looks like. To be able to model it as the Holy Spirit who lives within us guides us in that way. Ephesians chapter 4, let's look there. Look at verse 1. Paul says, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you to walk worthy. That word worthy has the idea of how we're to live our life. It's to be lived in a manner that when people look at us, they see Jesus. We're to walk worthy of him. In our, walk worthy of the calling which you were called with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, forbearing or, or bearing with one another and endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Christians are called to walk worthy, live in a manner that pleases God, live in a manner that honors God, the one who called us to salvation. Notice some of the few things here that Paul focuses in on. For us to be able to walk worthy of God. He says, first of all, we're to walk in humility. Now, the opposite of humility is pride, right? We, we can walk around and be proud and arrogant and all of these other things, thinking like we don't need any help and we've got it all down and all this other stuff. Paul says, no, don't, don't live your life like that. I mean, how many, how many of us really like people who, who, who are the uh, people that you, you can't teach them anything because they already know it all? It doesn't matter what you have accomplished in life, they've topped it in some way. You know, you walk away from those people and think, well, I hope I never run into them again. I mean, they're just always so proud and arrogant about what they've done in life, what they've accomplished in life. Paul says we're to be home. We're to show humility in our life. He also says we're to, we're to show gentleness. We're to show gentleness in our actions and also in our speech. The opposite of that is just being rude to people. Who likes rude people in their life? I don't. Paul says be gentle. Walk your, live your life in a manner that pleases God by, by having a gentle, loving spirit within you. And then he says, have patience. 
Another word for patience is to endeavor. Keep at it. Don't give up. Keep going on. And he, and he breaks that down into two different categories here. Never give up when trials and heartaches and troubles come your way. Don't wave the white flag. Don't throw in the towel. Keep at it. Trials come to all of us in different forms and different phases of our life. And Paul here is encouraging us. Walk worthy. You're a light into the world. We, we tell people all the time that, that God lives in me. I'm a Christian. You know, and a lot of times we do that when things are going great in our life, huh? And when trouble and, and sorrows and other things like that, if we're not careful, when those come along, we kind of we cower back. We don't want to share the bad times with other people. Listen, God is with us through the bad times as well as he is with the good times. He says, never give up in your own trials. Keep persevering. But then he also adds something else. Never give up in dealing with others. How many times have we kind of just brushed people off? Ah, they're never going to get it. I'm tired of that. I've talked and talked and talked till I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm not getting anywhere and, and I'm done with it. There's, there's so many, you know, people that just kind of rub us the wrong way too. We give up on them, don't we? We push them aside and, and, and we say, oh, that, well, there's other fish in the pond. You know, I, I believe that when God brings people into our lives, it's not by chance. I, I believe God orchestrates that. God brings people in their life. Sometimes they're, they're, they're people that embolden us and empower us and encourage us to continue living on a worthy life of him, for Him. Other times there are people who need us to be encouragers to them, empowerers to them. We need to learn how to welcome that into our life. Paul goes on in verses 4 through 6 here, and he gives us seven stabilizers here, if you will, which, when you take them all together, illustrates the unity that is to exist in the church. And when I say the church, I'm not talking about this building, amen? We are the church. So it's not just when we are focused on our attention here, when we gather inside this building... It's wherever we go. These are some stabilizers that, that Paul says, you want to you walk in unity? You want to live your life in a manner that pleases God? Focus on these. Look with me in verse 4. He says there is one body. There's one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. Oneness in the church. If you read through verses 4 through 6 there with me, you notice there was an obvious key word. What was that? Hey, good. Oh, Good. Hey, we're going to go to class today. We're going to go back to school, okay? How many of you like being in school? One of you, two of you. Three of you, young man over here, he's still in school. He enjoys it. I'll be thankful, Mom. I went to school. 
When I was in elementary, junior high, and high school, I did not apply myself like I should have. My focus was get through school somehow, some way, get a job like my, my dad and my grandparents did, and, 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 you know, raise a family. Later on in life, when, when God saved me and then called me into the ministry and I went back to school, you know what? I had a whole different outlook on that. I was excited. I was excited to go to college and to, to learn some things that when I was growing up in, in elementary and high school, I didn't care the least about. You see, that's what, what's what God can do in your life, folks. When he gets a hold of you, he can transform your life. There's a focus here on the word one. He says one body. Christ's body. And what he's talking about, him being the representative, him being the head of the church, him being the head of that body, he's talking about his church. The Christian church. It's not this local body. It's not any one local body anywhere all over this world. It's the entire body together he's talking about. There is one he says there is one spirit, one spirit, the Holy Spirit, who we are to obey and submit our lives to. It is not all of these man-made philosophies and doctrines and theologies that, that we hear coming and going every single day of our life. There's one spirit, the Holy Spirit, who lives inside the believer. He says there's one hope. What is our hope? Our, our hope is eternal life in heaven based upon Jesus Christ's resurrection from the dead. Folks, if he had not resurrected from the dead, we might as well not be here this morning. Because we would be worshiping the false gods that other people believed back then and other people still believe today. We serve a risen God. We serve a risen Savior, a risen Jesus Christ who came back from the dead and showed himself to many, many people, and they watched him as he ascended back up into heaven. That's who we serve. That's our hope. One day, Jesus promises that one of these days, he's coming back, and he is going to call us home, and we will live and reign with him forever and ever. There's one spirit. There's one hope. There's one Lord, one master from whom we receive our marching orders as the church. We owe our allegiance to him and him alone. He's the one we serve. He's the one who we listen to. He's the one that we obey. One Lord. There is one faith. There is one faith in the crucified, risen Lord for our salvation. We're going to talk about this a little bit later on. There are not many, many, many ways to get to heaven. There's only one way. And it's having faith in Jesus Christ. One baptism. Here's where we kind of get into a little, maybe, disagreement. Some scholars say we're well, talking about the Holy Spirit here again. I, I don't really necessarily believe that he's talking about the Holy Spirit here in this baptism because he's already focused on the Spirit earlier when he said there's one Spirit. I think he's talking about a water baptism here where, where we go into that, that liquid grave, if you will, representing ourselves as an old self, dying, being buried, and being brought forth in new life 
walk worthy of him. Either way you look at it, both of them identify us as belonging to him, as being members of his body. There is one baptism. And then he says there is one God and one Father. The church is tied to one God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, time doesn't permit me to fully elaborate on all of these six verses this morning. Brother Greg said I needed to get you guys out of here by 1230. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, right, you say. So we're going we're gonna to focus, what, what my focus wants to be on this morning is this last portion. Verse 6, let's read it again. He says, there is one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Now just as there was a key word in those, first, or those verses 4 through 6, which was one, there's a key word in all of this. All. All. That's what our focus is going to be on here this morning. And, and as I said, we're, we're going to go back to school. You, you don't have to worry about, oh my gosh, I didn't study. He's going to ask me questions. I, I'm not going to ask you questions where you have to raise your hand or verbally respond to me, okay? These, these responses are going to be in your head. They're going to come from your heart. You're going to know the, the answer to these questions as soon as you see them appear up here. Be truthful with yourself. Be honest with yourself this morning, okay? Now, as we look at this passage here, this, this one verse, verse 6, it's important to note this, first of all. In a general sense, God is the Father of all. In that, He created each and every one of us. It doesn't matter where, where we live in this world. It doesn't matter what color our skin is, it, nothing matters. He created each and every one of us. He is, in that regard, the Father of all. But He is not the Father of all people, spiritually speaking. If you recall, Jesus, when He uh, had an encounter with Nicodemus, He told Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you must be born again. And Nicodemus said, he, he, what? How, how can I enter into again to my, to my mother's womb? Well, he wasn't talking about a physical sense. He was certainly talking about a spiritual sense. He's not talking about a, a physical rebirth, but a spiritual one. So, only those who believe in him are counted as his children. That's not my words, that's God's word. In John chapter 1, verse 12, we read this. But as many as received him, who? Jesus. As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. And then he, he adds this on again, just, just so we don't misunderstand to those who believe in his name. How do you become a child of God? You believe in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. He becomes your brother. And thus, you are welcomed through adoption and become a child of God. 
Paul writes this in Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. For you are all children of God. How? Through faith in Christ Jesus. It's not something that anything that you and I can do on our own. It becomes God's efforts in us, his mercy, his grace, working in us that we have faith in Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. God's grace is imparted to those who place their faith in Jesus as their personal Savior, and boom, they're saved. You become a child of God. God desires that first and foremost, each and every one of us have a personal relationship with him. That's what God desires for everyone. You can think of the most evil, wicked, horrible, wretched person that's ever walked the face of this earth, and God's desire was that they have a personal relationship with him through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So question number one is simply this. Are you a child of God? Spiritually speaking, are you a child of God? Have you confessed your sins and invited Jesus Christ into your life as your personal Savior? Now, I'm sure everyone in here has already answered that question. We know, honestly, we know whether we have done that or not. We know whether we're saved. We know whether we are a believer in Jesus Christ. We know, yes or no, I have done that. Paul writing to Timothy, 1 Timothy 2, 4 says, God desires all men to be saved. Oprah Winfrey would have us to believe there are many ways to the Father. There's many ways to heaven. And not just her, there's there's many. And somehow celebrities think that they have a corner on this. Listen to us, we've got it all figured out. You know, the sad thing is many people believe them. Believe what they have to say, which is contrary to what God has to say. Jesus spoke these words to Thomas. When Thomas asked him, we don't know where you're going. How how do we know the way? Jesus said, look, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus, when he was speaking these words, was very, very, very emphatic. The Greek understanding of of what he's saying there is speaking about being the way, the truth, and the life means this. He is the one and only way. He is the one and only truth, and he is the only and one way to life eternal. In other words, he was saying, look, there's no other way except through me, is what Jesus was saying to him. To live in unity with the Father. To live in unity with one another, you must be a child of the Father. Secondly, Paul says this, God is the Father who is above all. He is above all. This speaks about his sovereignty, his lordship. No matter how bleak your situation may appear right now, it doesn't matter what you're facing, what you've gone through, God is still on the throne, folks. And he is still in control. 
There is not one thing that takes place in your life, my life, anyone's life, but doesn't already go through the Father firsthand. There's nothing that catches him off guard. He has complete authority over everything, and he's going to make all things right one of these days. We live in a world today that seems like Christian hatred and anti-God messages. They seem to be everywhere. They seem to be growing daily. You can't mention Jesus. You can't mention Christ. It seems like anywhere. You can't go to your school sometimes without being penalized for it. You, you certainly can't do it on the public airways or they'll block you. It seems like you can't tell the truth anymore. Because darkness wants to prevail. David Jeremiah put it this way. He said, the blatant anti-Christian attacks by our secular society have intimidated many Christians in the Western world. But God is on our side in this battle for truth. God is at work in our lives. Even when we're being pressured or persecuted for our faith. Listen to this. You might want to write this down in your Bible somewhere. He said this. Don't be intimidated by the world. Be motivated by the word. Boy, wouldn't it be great if Christians would live their life like that? Look, I'm not going to be intimidated by, by, by what people in the world say. I'm going to be motivated. I'm going to be encouraged by what God's word has to say. He's the one who's on the throne. He's the one who is sovereign. Question number two is simply this. Is God the Lord of your life? Well, yeah, I thought I already answered that in question one. No, I, there I asked you, is he the Savior of your life? Have you recognized him as your personal Savior, as the one who died on the cross? You know, many Christians stop right there. Well, I'm saved. I can go live and do whatever I want because God's going to forgive me of everything. No, God wants to not just be the Savior of your life. God wants to be the Lord of your life. He wants to be the Lord of your life because He wants to transform you. He wants to change you. He wants you to make, he wants to make you to, to be somebody who, whose walk in this world, whose life lived in this world is pleasing to Him. What does it look like if I'm a Christian? I tell everybody I'm a Christian, and then I go live like the devil? Am I winning anybody to the Lord? You know what they're thinking? Well, I live like that. In fact, I live better than that. So if he's saved, I must be saved. We're, we're living a false message. God says, look, I not only want to be your Savior, I want to be your Lord. He's, he's the one who wants to be in control of your life. You know what keeps us a lot of times from allowing the Lord to be the one in control, the one in charge, the one calling the shots in our life? Pride. We think we can do it ourselves. We think we can handle this one and that one. Pride's a great deceiver, folks. It started with Lucifer. Satan, if you will. Isaiah 14, verse 12. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. For you have said in your heart, 
Lucifer was one of the, the greatest angels that God created. The most beautiful. We don't know exactly what kind of, uh, of position he had, but he, he, he was one of the top dogs up there, okay? But notice what he said. Top dog isn't good enough for me. There's, there's somebody else above me. And, and I don't like somebody else being above me. Pride got into him. He said this. I, he said, you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the earth. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Yes. You shall be brought down to Sheol to the lowest depths of the pit. Lucifer. He wasn't satisfied with being who and what God created him to be. He wanted to be God. He did not want anyone over him. So what did he do? He rebelled against the creator, God. People still do that today. You know that? They still rebel against the one who created them and gave them life. Henry Morris who writes for the Institution for Creation Research, said this, Lucifer, of course, is not the creator, for he was created himself. We read about that in Ezekiel chapter 28. It would seem, therefore, that for him to rationalize his ambition to be like the Most High, he must somehow persuade himself that he is like the Most High. That is, that God is a created being just like himself and thus can be defeated. He only had God's word that he had been created by him. And he evidently chose not to believe what God said, just as multitudes of men and women do today. He, like they, chose rather to believe that the eternal cosmos had somehow created them all by its own powers. The great cosmos, call it Mother Nature perhaps, has created spirit beings as well as men and women and all the worlds inhabited by them. In this scenario, he goes on, the true creator God is viewed as only one of many. Therefore, he is vulnerable to defeat, or so Satan evidently believes. Thus, Lucifer became the first evolutionist, and this great lie by which he deceived himself became the basis of his later deception of Eve and then of the founders of all of the varied pantheistic religions of the world as well as modern evolution and New Age philosophies. I find it very ironic. The great deceiver, Satan, deceived his own self. That's how it all began. He deceived himself into thinking that God is not God. He was a created being, just like everyone else. Morris goes on and he says, Nevertheless, God is still on his throne, and as Revelation 17, 14 points out, the Lamb shall overcome them, for he is Lord of lords and King of kings. So is God the Lord of your life? Or do you still stubbornly Pridefully hold on to yourself as sovereign. Third thing, Paul says back in Ephesians, he says, God, who is the Father, He is through all. In other words, He's 
lives through his children. So question number three is, are you living for the Lord? Are you living your life for the Lord? Now, unless you answered yes to question one and two, God cannot live through you. But, just because you answered yes to question one and two, doesn't mean that he is living through you. We can still choose not to live for him. We can still choose disobedience. So the question comes down to, am I a fan of Jesus or am I a follower of Jesus? A fan is one who sits on the sidelines and he cheers when, when things are going well. And he's, he's excited, he's enthused and everything else. But when things turn in his life, he walks away dejected. He's saddened. He feels like he's a loser. He feels like God has departed him. So he's not so rah-rah anymore. A follower of Jesus walks, speaks, and lives for Jesus no matter what. He allows his light to shine. He is salt of the earth. No matter what comes his way. Jesus said in John chapter 12, verse 26, If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my Father will honor. Following him. Not a fan of his. Not sitting back and cheering others on or cheering life when it goes well. But, but following him through the good and the bad and the ugly. Boyd Bailey says, fans of Jesus stay a safe distance away as observers. Followers of Jesus engage up close as servants. Fans obsess over anxious thoughts. What if I lose my job? What if I lose my health? What if I lose my house? Followers rest in being with Jesus. They remain faithful where the Lord calls them to serve. They follow by faith. Fans are comfortable as spectators, not servants. As a follower of Jesus, you see him as your Savior and Master. You don't passively watch him work like you would an, enter an entertaining show. Rather, you actively roll up your sleeves and serve with him as the Spirit leads you. Your Heavenly Father honors you when you follow and serve him. He owns you because he bought you with the blood of his Son, Jesus. The one who gave his all deserves your all. Is what they... Bailey says, folks, if there was ever, ever a time in our lives to be living for Jesus, it's now. We live in a very confusing, very chaotic world today where people are looking for answers. And it seems like anybody and everybody has an answer. And listen, those answers are all over the map. So which one do you choose to believe in? The one to believe in is in, found in Christ. It's found in the Word of God. Are you living your life for the Lord? People need to see the light of Jesus shining. People need to experience Jesus for themselves. You know, before I became a Christian, I would, I would see other people and see how they live. They, they would talk to me, but then I would watch them. 
see if they're living their life in the way that they verbalize it. And people still do. That, that's, that's a common thing for everybody to do. We hear people say one thing, but are they living that out? And we need to be living our life for Jesus. We need to be letting our light shine for Jesus Christ. The world is living in darkness. The world is going to hell. And, and we are, are passively sitting back and, and watching it happen. God has called us to be the light. God has called us to live our life in a manner that pleased him. And that is by showing other people the way. Jesus Christ, our Lord. Are you living for the Lord? Finally, Paul says in this, God is the Father who is in all. Not just through all now, but he is in all. In other words, he lives, he dwells in each believer. And why does he do that? He lives within each and every one of ourselves, our lives as believers in Jesus Christ, because he wants to reveal more of himself to us. When you became a Christian... You may be a Christian for a year. You may have been like Ron for 112 years. It doesn't matter. You know that when you first became a Christian, you didn't know it all. And if you're honest with yourself, I don't care how many years you've been a Christian, you still don't know it all, do you? There's not a, if anybody ever stands before you and says, hey, I've got the answer to everything found in that word, leave them. They don't have the answer to everything. They may have an answer to a lot of what's being said in here, but no man, I believe, can fully understand, comprehend every little thing that is in God's Word. Our mind is not like His. Our thoughts are not like His. Our ways are not like His. Now, what does that mean for me is this. I need to learn more about it. You know the, what I found out when I, when I was called into the ministry? And I started studying and reading and taking classes and all this stuff and to learn more and more I could about this work. You know what I found out? The more I learned, the more I don't know. I thought, boy, I am just barely scratching the surface of this. There is, there is tons more that needs to be learned so that I could live my life in a manner that pleases Him. That's the question. Are you growing in the Lord? Are you maturing day by day? Can you say today as a Christian, I am more mature today in the Lord than I was a year ago, than I was six months ago? Folks, we ought to be able to say that, amen? We ought to be growing in the Lord. God is in us. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says this. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We're to grow, we're to mature in the Lord by the Holy Spirit helping us as we study and as we meditate upon Scripture. God reveals more of himself to us and his ways as we allow the Holy Spirit to change us and to develop us and to mature us. Listen to the words of Charles Spurgeon. Beyond measure, it is desirable that we as believers 
should have the person of Jesus constantly before us to inflame our love towards him and to increase our knowledge of him. I would to God that my readers were all entered as diligent scholars in Jesus' college, students of Corpus Christi or the body of Christ, resolved to attain unto a good degree in the learning of the cross, but to have Jesus ever near. The heart must be full of him, welling up with his love, even to overrunning. Hence, he says, the apostle Paul says in Ephesians 3.17, so that Christ may dwell in your heart. Are you maturing in the Lord? Are you growing in the Lord? Peter wrote a letter, 2 Peter. It was because of the number of false teachers, false doctrines, false religions that were infiltrating the land back then. It's very similar to today, folks. It's very similar to today. There are false teachers everywhere. There are false doctrines everywhere. There are false religions everywhere. And so Peter wrote, and he said, Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And listen to me, you, you don't have to understand all of the other false teachings. You don't have to understand all of the other false religions. What Peter is emphasizing here is understand the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Understand that. Grow in your knowledge of that. And when other false religions come along, you can all of a sudden have that eye-opening experience and say, whoa, wait a minute. That's not what the Bible teaches. You know, it's been said, you've probably heard this before. When, when people in the banking world and other business world were being trained as to how to recognize a counterfeit $20 bill or any of they They took that $20 bill and, and thoroughly knew it. They, they understood exactly every little intricate. That's how they trained them and taught them to recognize counterfeit. They didn't bring them in 50 different types of counterfeit $20 bills and say, study these, know these. No, they said, look at the real deal here. Understand what that real $20 bill looks like. Backside, front side, and when a false one comes along, you'll recognize it right away. Folks, we don't have to understand all the false religions. We don't have to understand all the different false teachings and doctrines and philosophies and everything else. Understand the truth of God's Word. That's what Peter's saying. That's what Paul said. That's what all of these authors in, in God's Word say. Understand... Know the truth of God's stand. Are you growing in the Lord? Living in true unity with the Father means being able to answer yes to each of these questions. I don't know where you are today in your life. It starts with the first one. Are you a child of God? Have you given your life to Jesus Christ? Have you confessed your sins and trusted Him as your personal Savior? That Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. It all starts right there. 
Secondly, have you given him the right to be the Lord of your life? Is he sovereign? Is he control over it all? A lot of Christians stop right there at salvation, and they do move on to question number two. They still answer, no, not really. And life is a struggle. Thirdly, are you living your life for him? Well, if he's, you're not giving him the capacity to be the Lord of your life, you're probably not truly living for him in every way that you possibly can. There might be good days and good times, but you find out that there are many more troubling times. And are you, are you growing in the Lord? Do you have a time of day where you personally get into God's word and study it? Where you can ask God, God, fill me with the Holy Spirit. Show me what, what this passage means, Lord. Not only then, but how can I apply it to my life today? How can I walk better in my life? How can I live my life in a better way that pleases you, God? I want to grow. I want to mature. I want to be what you want me to be, and that is Christ-like. Four questions this morning. Only you can answer them for yourselves. I can't do it. Your spouse can't work it do it for you your, 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 your parent it's a question these four questions are questions that we must answer ourselves today would you bow with me as we get ready for this time of invitation reflect upon these questions would you God is speaking to your heart this morning come to this altar you don't have to make a public announcement that, of, your, of your sins or anything Whatever God leads you to do, if that's what he leads you to do, then, then amen, do it. But it might be just simply say, God, you know, I, I've not made you Lord of my life totally. And, and this morning, God, I, I'm coming here to commit my life to do that. W whatever it might be on that list up there, let God speak to your heart. Be honest, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your, your love. Thank you for your mercy and your grace.